Well, today we get to wrap up our series on the blessings of wisdom. I don't know about you, I've really enjoyed preaching it. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. Uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback, and I think anytime we dig into God's wisdom and see what it has to say to us, we're going to be blessed. And uh, this has been no exception. Uh, We've been looking at Proverbs chapter 3 in particular, and as we have done, I want to start by reading those first 12 verses. Uh, Some of you maybe are getting very familiar with those now, Um, and I thought it would be a good way to kind of review where we've been as we turn a corner and kind of come down the home stretch this morning. So um, happy Labor Day to you. We are glad that you are here this morning to worship with us. If you're joining us online from home or from a state park or from family that you're visiting, uh, we're very glad that you're joining us, whether that's live or at some point in the future. That's the beauty of of technology, and one of the good things that's come out of it is that you can catch up even if you miss a Sunday. And so we're grateful for that and for that opportunity uh, to worship together this morning. So if you join me on page 987, uh, we will look at Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. And, uh, and again, this is framed in a parent or parents writing to a son, uh, but we can also view this as our Heavenly Father writing to each of us as here dearly beloved children. He says, my son, my child, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So in verse 1 and 2, we talked about the invitation to abundance. And then verses 3 and 4, in week 2, we talked about how we have blessed relationships. And you'll see there's this this interplay between the odd-numbered verses give us an exhortation, something to do, And the even-numbered verses give us a blessing that we can expect. So when we do what's in verse 3, we can expect to win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. And, And we talked about how we grow in our blessed relationships. Those grow in the soil of love and faithfulness. So as we put that into our lives, blessed relationships will grow out of that. Then verses 5 through 8, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring life and health to your body and nourishment to your bones. We talked about blessed decisions and how we make blessed decisions and the guardrails and the importance of trusting in the Lord. And our bottom line was the best decision you can make is to follow Jesus Christ, to follow Him every day of your life. And then last week we looked at verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. We talked about blessed finances or blessed stewardship. That we, when we see that everything belongs to God and we are merely stewards over it and we choose to honor Him, with our possessions, with what we have, and with the first fruits, with our income, then we can experience His blessing, His protection. When we honor God with what we get and what grows, God will guard and grow what we've got. A little alliteration. I think pastors just have to do that every now and then. It's an itch we have to scratch. And that passage concludes with a reminder. My son, my child, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke, 
because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And as I was studying for this week's message, I came across a quote that beautifully ties those first few messages, those first four messages, into this final message. It's from Warren Wiersbe. He says, it's good to have the things money can buy, provided you don't lose the things that money can't buy. What good is an expensive house if there's no happy home within it? Happiness, pleasantness, and peace aren't the guaranteed byproducts of financial success, but they are guaranteed to the person who lives by God's wisdom. And that encapsulates what we've been talking about, and it builds a bridge from where we've been to where we'll be today. Today we're going to look at the next six verses in Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to see some shifts and some changes there. It switches from this exhortation and a blessing to follow it, alternating verses basically, to more of a commentary. Some commentary people, or commentators have called this a hymn to wisdom. It's addressed to us, but it's describing wisdom. And it even provides or personifies wisdom as a woman. Those, those pronouns that you'll see are referring to wisdom. And so I've titled this message, The Pursuit of Wisdom. What happens when we pursue wisdom? And so let's read those in just a moment, but I want to give you the bottom line first, early and often today. You should really have this bottom line down before we leave. The bottom line today is to pursue wisdom is to invite blessing. To pursue wisdom is to invite blessing. When we pursue God's wisdom, we invite God's blessing. When we pursue wisdom with our whole lives, we invite God's blessing into our life. And we experience that as true blessing, a blessing that doesn't leave us addicted to some substance or to the accumulation of more or to other things that are negative. Even though we got what we wanted, we didn't want what we got once we had it, or it wasn't enough, or we needed more. And that's not the way God's blessing works. That's not the way a true blessing of God works when we pursue His wisdom and when we experience His blessing in our lives. So let's read through verses 13 through 18. We'll do this in one shot, and then we'll walk back through it as has been our custom. And so he continues, Blessed is the man, or the woman, who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she, wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. And so in this passage, we're seeing further blessings of wisdom, or maybe first, before we see those blessings of wisdom called out, we we are told how valuable wisdom is. And it's compared to things of great value. In fact, of wisdom is of incomparable value. We see that in verses 13 through 15. In verse 13, ironically, this is the first time we've seen the word blessing or wisdom in this whole series in the Scripture, right? And it's interesting to me that 
this section, verses 13 through 18, starts and ends with the word blessed. It starts and ends with the word blessed, and this is the first place that we see wisdom and blessing directly connected, even though we've seen an exhortation to wisdom followed by a blessing we can expect throughout the whole passage. Now, to be blessed can be translated as to be happy, it can be favored, fortunate, prosperous. These are all elements of being blessed. When we receive blessing and we invite blessing into our lives, we're inviting happiness into our lives. We're inviting God's favor into our lives. We're inviting fortune and prosperity into our lives, and not just financial fortune, but fortune and prosperity in our relationships, in our decision-making, in our whole life. Remember, this whole thing got started with an invitation to abundance, that God is asking us to accept an invitation to abundance through the pursuit of wisdom. But I really think the key word in verse 13 might be finds. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. If you're going to find something, you may stumble upon it occasionally. But if you really want to find something, you'll seek it. You'll look for it. You'll watch for it. You'll pursue it. You'll search it out. I have a friend on Facebook who years ago started looking for heart-shaped rocks. She goes on walks in the morning around her neighborhood. She goes on hikes up in the trails. And for some reason, she started looking for heart-shaped rocks. And she's found dozens of them. And she posts a picture every now and then when she gets a really good one. And you know why she's found dozens of heart-shaped rocks and I've found one that I stumbled upon? Because she's been seeking them. She's been looking for them. This illustrates the principle that what you look for, you will find. What you seek and pursue, you will find. And if you look for it, If you pursue wisdom, if you look into God's Word for His wisdom and it's full of it, then you'll find it. But if you just wait to stumble upon it, you won't find it as often. You might get lucky here and there. Like I did with a couple of heart-shaped rocks. I saw them and I was like, oh, that reminds me of Sharmila. She looks for heart-shaped rocks. (laughs) But I haven't found nearly as many as she has. And I think the same is true with wisdom and with other things in life. If you look for negativity and something to complain about and something to be anxious about, you'll find it. It's all over the place. Just scroll through Facebook. But if you look for something to feel good about, something to rejoice in, something to share positively with somebody else, you'll find that too. It's out there too. But what are we looking for? Are we seeking wisdom? And wisdom is a divine attribute. It's it's a characteristic of God. He is wisdom. Jesus is wisdom personified, we are told. He is the Word made flesh. And I believe that when we seek wisdom, we're seeking to see the world as God sees it. Seeking to see the world, to see the things around us, to see the people in our lives as God sees them. That's one of my prayers, especially when I get frustrated with somebody, especially somebody close to me, is God, help me to see them the way you see them instead of the way that I see them. Because the way that I see them right now is not the way you see them. And so I want wisdom. I want wisdom to see life the way God sees it. To see situations and circumstances the way God sees them. And, And not just to see and observe, but to act on that. 
I think that's the real key to wisdom is it's the knowledge of God applied to our lives. Wisdom is knowledge applied. It's not just information. It's not just collecting this information. It's seeing as God sees and doing as He says. In fact, that's one of the, there were two power prayers that I've prayed so many times, it's ridiculous, that came to mind as I was preparing for this message. And the first is, God, help me to see as you see and to do as you say. Help me to see as you see and to do as you say. That's a prayer that you could write down, you could put in your Bible, you could put on a sticky note, you could pray it every day, you could pray it several times throughout the day, you could put reminders in your phone. These are all things that would help you to seek wisdom. God, grant me the ability to see as you see and to do as you say. That would be wisdom. Another that we've been praying for years, I got it from Andy Stanley. We used to really watch a lot of Andy Stanley messages. He would close a lot of his messages with these words, God, grant us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it, even if it's hard. I don't know how many times my kids have heard that prayer. Grant us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it, even if it's hard. And so that's all wrapped up in seeking wisdom. That We're blessed when we seek it, when we find it, when we search it out and we gain understanding. Verse 14 and 15 really dive deep into the value of wisdom. What I would say is the incomparable value of wisdom. Verse 14 says, wisdom is more profitable than silver and yields a better return than gold. It's more precious than rubies in verse 15. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Basically, It's saying that wisdom is better than anything this world and this life has to offer. Better than gold and silver and rubies. Better than anything that we can desire. Wisdom is better. And that's why the book of Proverbs begins with this exhortation to wisdom. No matter what it costs you, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, gain understanding. It is the most valuable thing because our bottom line is true. To pursue wisdom. Wisdom is to invite blessing. It's the, it's the thing that we can find, that we can accumulate through study of God's Word, through hanging around people that are wiser than us, through searching out the ability to see as God sees. That unlocks additional blessing in our lives. It cost you all you have. You're not poor if you have wisdom. You have the most valuable thing that this life has to offer. Now, verses 16 and 17 get into some additional blessings of wisdom. We've established its value in verses 13 through 15, and now we're going to look at some additional blessings of wisdom. In verse 16, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. So you got long life in the right hand and riches and honor in the left hand. The combination is that you don't just live for a long time, you live a full life, an abundant life. And these verses echo back to verses 1 through 12. So we see in verse 2 almost the same statement. For they, these commands and teachings, will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Verses 9 and 10 talk about honoring God and experiencing His abundance in our lives. And we're not just talking about materially, we're talking about relationally as well. Experiencing the honor that comes from the people around us. 
Verse 4, having those blessed relationships because we have bound love and faithfulness around our necks and we've written that on the tablet of our hearts and now our relationships are growing in the soil of love and faithfulness. You see how this all works together that when we pursue wisdom, we invite blessing into our lives. Verse 17 kind of echoes verses 5 through 8 saying that all her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are our peace, that the guardrails of God's moral will and His providential will keep us in His personal will, which is life and peace and pleasant paths. It doesn't say they're easy, and we talked a lot about that in verse 3. They're not always easy. But think about Psalm 23 when David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not an easy path by any means. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I have peace. Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That even in the most difficult paths, we can experience God's peace. Because to pursue wisdom is to invite blessing. To pursue God's wisdom is to invite God's blessing into our lives. But if you've drifted off because there was a lot of review, I want to bring you back. Verse 18 is the most profound verse in this whole passage, maybe the most profound verse in this whole chapter, and it's absolutely the way I want to end this series and end this message today because verse 18 says, wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Wisdom is a tree of life and blessing. Wisdom is a tree of eternal life and eternal blessing. Because remember, Jesus is wisdom personified. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And to understand the significance of those three words, tree of life, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to Genesis chapter 2, where we're told in verse 9, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for fruit, for food. But in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so from the very, very beginning, we see God's desire that we would have access to the tree of life. And the one command was, don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why do you think that was? Satan twisted it and convinced Eve, and therefore by extension Adam, who we're pretty sure was standing right next to Eve when this whole conversation was going on, that God was trying to keep something good from them. But keep in mind, day one, God created and it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, four, five, six, it was good. In fact, day six, it was very good. All there was in the garden was good. All that Adam and Eve knew up until this point was good. But there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's desire was that we would know only good and that we would be in that state forever. That we would know good, that we would eat of the tree of life and be in that state forever. But look what's happened after the fall. In Genesis 3, 22, 
after they've eaten of the fruit, after Satan has been cast down, after they are about to be cast from the garden, here's what we read. The Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. It was only good before this, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever in the state of knowing good and evil. Don't miss this. This is really, really important. Taking that fruit from the tree of life would lock us into a morally corrupt state at that point. So he excluded us. Did you ever realize that, that removing Adam and Eve and humanity from the garden was an act of grace? So that we could not take of the tree of life, God is saying in verse 22, and be morally corrupt forever. We're only morally corrupt for a season, for a time. And a time is coming when God will usher in a new creation and it will be only good forever. We see this at the very end. If you want to flip all the way back to Revelation in your Bible, there is another tree of life at the end of all things. And we see this in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 2. The very last chapter of Scripture, we read these words. Then the angel showed me, John, who's writing Revelation, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, the new Jerusalem. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. So in the very center of the new Jerusalem, there is a river that contains the water of life. Jesus Christ himself, he said, I am the water of life. Anyone who comes to me, springs of living water will well up within them, bringing refreshment, bringing joy, bringing blessing. And it flows right through The tree of life. I want to see that. Don't you want to see that? What does that look like? I I picture roots going down and, and a river coming right through that tree. Nourishing that tree. Feeding that tree. But that tree, we're told, brings nourishment to us. Bearing fruit all the time. Every month. And its leaves are the healing of the nation. We can't, even, we can't even hold, I don't think, all of this into our finite minds. But there is a promise associated with that tree of life. And you go back to Revelation 2.7. As John is writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, what I've just said. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. When we overcome, when we pursue wisdom, and we make our way through life with wisdom, with wisdom personified, which is Jesus Christ, we can overcome, and we have the right to eat of the tree of life and live forever. But there's one final tree I want you to consider. It's a tree of death that was transformed into a tree of life. It's a tree that represents the cross of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament law, it said, 
Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. But here's the good news. Here's the good news that Paul writes to the church in Galatia in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse. From the curse of the law, from the curse of sin and death, from the curse of good and evil, of knowing evil. Christ redeemed us from the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He became a curse for us so that we could come into an eternity with God and know only good forever. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Christ, the Word made flesh, crucified for our sin, hung on a tree, was the reversal of the curse from Genesis chapter 3 to make Revelation 22 possible. Do you see all this fitting together? And you see why it's so important that we understand that wisdom is that tree of life because the wisest thing you can do, the best decision you can make is to follow Jesus Christ. As verse 18 says, to lay hold of her, to lay hold of Christ, to cling to Christ and Christ alone for our life, for our eternity, for everything we have. Because our bottom line is absolutely true. To pursue wisdom is to pursue or to invite blessing. To pursue wisdom is to invite blessing and to pursue Jesus Christ is to invite His blessing into our lives. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but for eternity. And that's why it's so important that we pursue Christ every day, that we pursue God's wisdom, His will, His ways every single day to pursue Christ is to invite blessing. We do that today, we do that tomorrow, we do that the next day, we do that every day, forever. We do that through His Word. We do that through prayer. We do that through inviting the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. We do that through fellowship with other believers. We do that through our corporate worship. We do that through sharing Christ because to share Christ is to invite someone else into that blessing, to invite someone else into the family of God, to invite someone else into good, only good, forever. And that's the mission of God. So when we evangelize, when we share our faith, when we invite people to church, when we invite people to our car show and picnic next week, that it might be a first step into a a positive association with the church and maybe they come and maybe they hear the good news and maybe they get saved. When we share Christ, when we invite when we evangelize, when we serve, we experience God's blessing. And we invite others to experience His blessing. And so as we close today, the altars are open. We haven't talked about this explicitly for some time, but as always, if you come to these middle altars, we'll consider that you're letting us know you'd like to pray alone. I would encourage you, if God's working on your heart, or if he's laid somebody on your heart that needs to hear this message, come down to this altar in front of the cross. Spend some time there. If you're mourning for someone, if you're grieving for someone, something that's happened, if there's someone on your heart that you want to intercede for, come to the altar. 
Pray for them. If you go to the outside altars, we'll see that as an invitation. You'd like somebody to come and pray with you, and and we'll put a hand on your shoulder, and we will voice a prayer over you. And don't forget the cross is available. You can write a prayer on a slip of paper there, roll it up, put it on that cross just as a way of interceding for someone. But however you choose to respond, as always, we want to be a people who respond in faith. When we hear God's word, we want to respond in faith to God's word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing of wisdom. Thank you for the invitation to abundance. Thank you for the way this passage touches all of life and our relationships, our decisions, our finances and our wealth and and what we're seeking, Lord. I pray that we would be a people who are seeking you, who put you first each and every day, who share you with others because to pursue you is to invite a blessing and to share you with others is to invite them to a blessing. Help us to be a people who pursue you and who share you, and who respond in faith to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.